From the Financial Times in London, I'm Alia Ram and this is FT News. Shares in ZTE, one of China's biggest telecoms equipment makers, plunged this week after the US Senate blocked a deal to allow the company to resume its operations in the US. The company has been cut off from US suppliers after it was caught shipping banned products to Iran and North Korea, but it is also at the centre of the US's escalating trade war with China. With me in the studio to discuss this is our telecoms correspondent, Nick Files, and down the line from Taipei is Edward White, our correspondent there. Nick, you broke the story about ZTE falling foul of authorities in London. Can you give us the backdrop? What happened here and in the US? Sure. There was a two-pronged thing in April which coincided but was actually coincidental. In the UK, the National Cyber Security Centre, which monitors telecoms equipment for potential security risks, issued a missive to the telecoms companies like BT, Virgin Media and the mobile guys not to use ZTE equipment on national security grounds. And that was pretty bold. Obviously, ZTE's rival Huawei is already in the UK network in a very large way. ZTE had a lot of ambitions to crack the UK and European markets and they've basically been frozen out. And that was largely because of their ownership and their links to the Chinese state. And uh, the cybersecurity centre basically said they couldn't mitigate against the risk of snooping, spying, security threats. Then what happened in the US? Well, later that afternoon, the US then froze... ZTE out of the US market by putting a trade embargo on any US company doing business with them. Now, that was related to a previous ruling about ZTE doing business in Iran and North Korea and sanctions busting, basically, and doing it in very sort of clever ways that were detected. But they'd already paid a very large fine, over a billion dollars related to that issue. What happened was the Department of Commerce said they actually felt that they hadn't lived up to the spirit and the agreements. They'd been rewarding staff. They hadn't restructured and changed their colours at all related to the original ruling. So they effectively put this ban on them. And that had huge implications for the ZTE, which is why you've seen their share price utterly collapse and had a question about whether they can even survive because the US is a very, very crucial market for this company. And so how does this all play out in terms of a trade war between the US and China? The Department of Commerce said it wasn't linked to a trade war. They were at pains to say this was purely related to the sanctions and the agreements they had, which were under the uh, Obama administration. However, Donald Trump, as he does, took to Twitter, got involved, and it became caught up in this issue of the China-US trade war. Trump effectively intervened on ZTE's behalf by saying that he needed to protect thousands of jobs and that this was perhaps not in everybody's favour. And that was against Washington's wishes, it seemed. But now we've sort of got to a stage where there's a battle over this trade war with ZTE caught in the middle. So it's the sense that the US followed the UK in making the decision to ban ZTE. Not really. As I said, they are separate issues. The UK, basically before anybody thought about Chinese telecoms equipment supplies being a national security threat, allowed Huawei to come in. They won a big deal with BT many, many years ago, so the sort of horse had bolted. With the US, ZTE is operating there, but they seem to be acting for their own interests, their own national interests. For the UK, it's much more of a security issue. However, it is interesting that telecoms equipment, and particularly the move up to 5G, has become a very political issue. I mean, the Trump administration is reportedly considering a plan to build their own 5G network. It's pretty unclear whether that will ever happen, but that's largely to do with Chinese influence on telecoms networks. Isn't one of the concerns technology transfer to China that's been an issue not just in the US and UK, but in Europe and Australia and Canada. Why are the authorities so concerned about transfer technology? 
I guess it's because traditionally Chinese markers were considered copiers. So Huawei, for instance, in its early days was making very cheap equipment that wasn't particularly bespoke and that was very appealing to people. But, you know, if you're a telecoms company, you buy Ericsson, you buy Nokia for the best stuff. Huawei, if you wanted to save costs, and get something that was pretty much like it. But if they're now going to control the IP on technology shifts like 5G and the Internet of Things, if they scoop up all the trademarks, all the patents, all the IP, that puts them in a very, very powerful position economically and leaves markets like, I guess, the UK, Europe in a pretty federal place. Ed, you've been following this closely from Taiwan. Can you elaborate on how the ZTE case highlights China's dependence on foreign-made chips? Yes, well, being reliant on foreign-owned or foreign-imported chips has basically long been a fact of life for most, if not all, of China's major technology companies. That includes not just ZTE, who we've been talking about, but also Alibaba, Tencent, and Huawei. And so just for background, China consumes more than half of the world's semiconductors or computer chips, but it only produces less than 5%. And most of what it does produce is at the lower end of the value chain, so less complex chips for, I guess, simpler devices. And that's despite electronics accounting for almost 30% of China's exports, which of course doesn't include the products used by China's 1.4 billion people. So what the ZTE case really showed was just the pace at which the supply of foreign controlled chips could be cut off. You know, their major operations in Shenzhen, which employ tens of thousands of people, were basically brought to a standstill and then they were left reliant on the president, Xi Jinping, making a direct plea to Donald Trump, which is perhaps not a position that you want to be in. What did he say and what was the reaction? Well, I think the reaction from Mr. Trump after he was lent on by Xi Jinping, who basically laid out that this was going to be a major issue, ZTE employs something like 75,000 people. The company was brought to a standstill by having their supply of this integral equipment from the US cut off. And so I think he just made the case that for this company to fall over would be a major issue for the Chinese government. And he, I suppose stressed that that could have some further implications for the US-China relationship. And that's why this issue has sort of flung itself into the centre of the trade war, though it didn't start out that way, as Nick said. And so why has China been unable to develop its own chips? I guess in terms of the most valuable high-end technology that's making the leading-edge chips that power the smartest and newest devices, the Chinese companies, they're about four or five years behind sort of the Taiwanese or South Korean or Japanese or US competitors. And chips at the high end, they require not only a huge amount of R&D and CapEx each year, but it's not just about the money. A lot of it comes down to the process technology. This is this manufacturing technology of how to pack billions of transistors into tiny fingernail-sized chips. This technology requires something like 600 steps and involves chemistry, material science, physics, electrical engineering, and it's constantly moving forward. So where the Taiwanese companies are today, so TSMC, which is the biggest contract chip maker, for instance, where they are today, the Chinese companies are five or six years behind, which means that where the Chinese companies will be in 2020, they're only going to be making chips that the Taiwanese companies made in 2014 or 2015. And so the other key part that's holding them back is that the computer chips that are getting made in the West or in Taiwan or outside of China, 
these are the key core processes, the, the key chips that really power devices and allow them to have the smarts to do all the things that we want to do, which means that for a company like Apple or Samsung to use a Chinese company, it would be really taking a major risk when they could just go with their trusted supplier outside and also not worry about any issues around IP or anything like that. So that just gives the established players quite a massive advantage. And then I guess the other thing is that the ability of the Chinese companies to just keep funneling money in, it hits a bit of a roadblock because they're constantly developing the technology at a level that's a few years behind. So they're a little bit reluctant to keep spending major amounts of money when they know that they're already stuck four or five years behind their overseas competitors. Nick, is this something you've seen? Yeah, it's absolutely true. I think we saw last year a Chinese company take over Imagination Technologies. And from what I hear, there's a shopping list of chip or chip-related companies that Chinese companies, Chinese-related companies would love to get their hands on. And that plays exactly to what Ed's saying there, that they do feel that this is an area they need to target, that they need to sort of ramp up very quickly to reduce their dependence on American and European chip companies. So, Ed, in the meantime, how bleak do things look for ZTE and its 75,000 employees or for other Chinese telecoms groups? Well, we should, I guess, just say that, you know, the Chinese have been targeting this area for several decades. Going back to the 90s, the Chinese have tried to build the semiconductor sector up. They've basically failed a couple of times. And then most recently in 2015, the government in Beijing has redoubled its efforts. It's made semiconductors or computer chips one of its key strategic industries. And it's set this target of trying to meet 40% of their consumption by locally produced companies by 2025. And they've pledged about $150 billion in government support over the next 10 years. And this has already led to a wave of new state-backed investments and a flurry of international M&A activity, licensing deals with international companies and things like that. And so there has been already an establishment of what is really a flourishing industry. And despite that technology gap at the high end, which I talked about, when it comes to making lower-end chips, designing some chips, Chinese companies are becoming competitive. And the other thing we're already seeing is some of the massive Chinese technology companies for instance, the e-commerce giant Alibaba, but also Tencent, they're starting to invest heavily into this industry as well. So when you look at ZTE, while they're in a bit of a troubled spot at the moment, reliant on some sort of outcome from this brewing trade war, there is a broader view, I suppose, that the Chinese, as they've done in so many other industries, they may be able to eventually catch up. Whether or not they are able to buy their way into the industry, that seems unlikely at this stage. But given their history of industrial development, analysts say that by, say, 2020 or beyond, that the Chinese innovators and their R&D may begin to slowly catch up, in which case their reliance on the foreign companies may be reduced somewhat. But we'll have to wait and see. Certainly the technology leaders at this stage, they're not expecting the Chinese to make such a move over the next few years. But as I said, we'll have to wait and see. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Nick. Hello. We're rethinking our podcast strategy here at the Financial Times, and we'd love to hear your views. We're asking listeners to rate our podcasts and to tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. 
To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com forward slash podcast feedback to enter our prize draw to win £500 or the equivalent in dollars. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.